to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com this episode is sponsored in part by everlywell everlywell offers affordable at-home lab tests that give you trusted physician-reviewed results choose from tests including food sensitivity metabolism sleep and stress thyroid sti and so much more for listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash S&S. So I think you probably know that my beliefs as part of being a slut and a scholar is being informed about my sexual health and wellness. For me, that means knowing my STI status so that I can take care of myself, make informed decisions, and communicate clearly my safer sex practices with partners. The STI test by Everly Well discreetly allows you to test for seven types of STIs, all from the privacy of your own home. Whether you don't want to go to the doctor, don't have one, have accessibility needs, you can do that at-home test with Everly Well. Here's how it works. Everly Well ships your test straight to your door with everything needed for a simple sample collection. Then they then you return the test to the CLIA certified lab with a prepaid shipping label. Then your physician-reviewed results and insights are sent to your device in just days. Okay, so for me, I got the box. First, I logged in online. I had to answer 10 short questions about myself. Uh, then the screen gave me directions on how to do the test. Uh, they even have easy-to-watch videos to show you how to prick your finger and do a swab. I just sent mine in yesterday, and I am awaiting my results. But remember, I'm not your doctor and not a replacement for your doctor or your therapy, so make sure you consult with a doctor if you need to to figure out if this is right for you. And for listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash S&S. That's E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L, everlywell.com slash S-A-N-D-S for 20% off your at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash S&S. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Dr. Joshua Gonzalez. He is a board-certified urologist who is fellowship-trained in sexual medicine and specializes in the management of sexual dysfunctions. He completed his medical education at Columbia University and his urological residency at the Mount Sinai Medical Center. Throughout his career, Dr. Gonzalez has focused on advocating for sexual health and providing improved health care to the LGBTQ plus community. Dr. Gonzalez also serves as an official sexual health advisor to Astroglide Lubricants. He serves on the board of directors for the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health and also recently started a men's health supplement company focusing on enhancing ejaculatory volume and taste. Okay, there's so many things that I... Oh, also check out his TikTok. He's like booming on there now as well. <laughs> um, but before we dive into like all the other important stuff... Why do people care about semen volume? Can we talk about that for a oh second? Oh my God. Um, they care so much. So um, I know. Tell me about I was actually texting yeah. a friend about it yesterday, and the answers they gave me were all great. They were like, so that for someone who is really into semen, in case you need to have enough semen to put on four people's faces. I was like, they were uh, they had all these yeah, great I reasons. mean that's that's very specific, but no, in general. I know, um, I think I think they want your product and I gave them the link. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No. So in general, um, this, this, um, supplement, uh, this side project baby of mine was sort of born out of, um, a need that I kept seeing from patients where they would ask me if there was anything that they could do to increase their, their volume. Right. And, and what a lot of people don't know, especially younger men, um, is that as men get older, um, it, a part of getting older means that the amount of of semen that you produce when you ejaculate tends to decrease. And then there's other factors that can influence it. Like if you're, if you smoke, if you are, you know, lead a generally unhealthy lifestyle and are overweight or have diabetes, or um, there's a lot of sort of other factors that can make the volume less as well. Um, and, you know, I, I see a lot of guys who are on testosterone or some other hormonal treatment, but testosterone replacement, therapy specifically also sometimes decreases your volume. So I have just a lot of patients that were asking me about it. 
And there's really no data looking at, I mean, there's, there's a couple small studies looking at increasing volume from a fertility standpoint, right? Because obviously semen volume is important for male fertility. It's one of the, the most important factors when you're evaluating a man's fertility. Um, and so there was a couple studies that looked at different, uh, let's call them ingredients, indi- you know, individual supplements um, that have been shown to increase volume. So I just kind of brought this up to a colleague of mine who's sort of been one of my mentors kind of making my way through this sexual health world. Um, and he he was like, that's a great idea. Because I basically said, like, if we could develop a supplement that fixed this problem, we would, you know, be able to retire, essentially, because there's like nothing available for men. And I just kept getting asked about it. Um, and so I asked him if he had similar, you know, uh, patients. And he said, yeah, people ask me about it all the time. So we just kind of like, you know, this was like right at the beginning of COVID, um my practice slowed down a little bit at the time so i was just like well i have some time to devote to this and we just started looking up the studies and creating a formula and it's really been like a work in progress like just sort of building this company from the ground up when neither of us had any experience in this space um so it's been it's it's definitely been a journey and and um it's been really fun to kind of see it come to fruition and we've already had very positive responses from like my friends that have taken it have told me <laughs> that they notice a big difference patients of mine who had previously asked me about this issue and then i tell them that this is now available have reported good good results so we're really excited about it and i think we're going to actually study it um do like a small trial with some of his patients and some of mine um to get like something that we can actually publish so yeah and so is it targeting both like the actual underlying health stuff or is it more just targeting the the topical um amount because people are wanting that because it makes them feel better because their partner really likes to have a lot of semen like what yeah like what is it really targeting well so i mean obviously if there are underlying factors like the ones we mentioned, like if they're a smoker, of course, yeah. we're going to tell them like, you know, if you quit smoking, that that this would probably help. help, you know, um, hydration is also really important. So many people are, com- you know, walking around chronically dehydrated. So increasing your fluid intake can help volume. Um, but the ingredients that we put in our formulation are the ones that have been best studied, again, in the fertility space. So we kind of combined all of those. Um, and then when we were thinking about this product, um, we said, well, why, why do people like semen right or like yeah. why, like, why I'm is this... down for like giving someone a pill for less i mean i guess you yeah. can just come a lot but like <laughs> yeah. i'm fine with just a little dollop you know just right right, right. <laughs> yeah so but but i think for for men it's it's a symbol of like virility i also see a lot of gay men in my practice and for gay men especially and i don't know if this is related to like the but but the idea of coming more is hot to a lot of gay men so like a lot mm-hmm. of my patients a lot of the ones that were complaining about this problem were identified as gay and it was affecting their self-esteem and it was a you know their their partners were like making comments about it so um um it, i mean it, it just seems to be like a priority to a lot of men and especially gay men yeah so anyway it, we were yeah go ahead it makes me it makes me think of like um I don't know, Botox or fillers in some way where like if I have a client who's talking about that, I'm not going to say, hey, don't do this thing that makes you feel better about yourself. But I may want to help them address like or a little education of like what are the underlying things? How do we have this concept of like this masculinity and like what it means to be virile and a good lover and like a sex god or whatever of coming a lot. So I feel like there's some space there for like uh, dispelling some myths and this sort of male archetype. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, you know, it's, it's probably very informed by our consumption of porn. Right. So like in Mm. porn, it's like, shoot it a lot everywhere. everywhere. Right. right. (laughs) Half of it's fake. I mean, they're shooting it from off camera, you know, but, um, but yeah, so I think you're, you're right. Those are, those are important issues, I think to address. Um, But I also just think it like makes for a lot of men, it just kind of makes it more fun. You know what I mean? So that's where the taste, we haven't even talked about the taste component of the, of the, the product, but, um, yeah. uh, which is called pop star everyone. Um, and you should check it out. But, um, yeah, so we, when we were thinking about putting together a formula, we thought what other aspects of semen do people like or not like, right. And like, generally speaking, 
we we thought that most people are not thrilled by the taste of it. So <laughs> could we somehow develop um, a formulation that increased volume and also affected taste? So we added some ingredients to enhance the taste essentially and to sweeten the taste. So we have like pineapple extract in there. Everyone's heard the stories of like consuming a lot of pineapple will change so the taste true. of your cup. <laughs> yeah. So um because because the the byproduct of, of the pineapple, the bromelain, ends up in all of our body fluids, but one of them is semen. So um yeah. yeah. It's just been a fun project. Um and and yeah, I'm really happy about it. Are there other tastes that you think you can like develop with it? Like what if I want some butterscotch or like vanilla? Or- <laughs> that, listen, if, if, pop, if pop star, you know, uh, uh, original takes off, then maybe, maybe we will have to develop additional flavor profiles. But um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love that. We're hoping that this, I mean, this started again as like, a stupid idea that I had because of a patient complaint. Um, it's now turned into like a really exciting project that my colleague and I are working on and our goals are, yeah, to have this be successful and maybe build this out into like a more expansive men's health supplement line or a men's health, like sort of lifestyle brand or something like that. So. Well, congratulations. And yeah, I think the taste thing is also subjective too, right? Like some people love the taste as it is. Um, but also I think it's, evolutionarily some people would argue it's evolutionarily important like if it's a good evolution match then you'll like the taste better of someone's like natural flavor so i do wonder what like evolutionary psychologists will say about like changing the taste if that will mean like you're ending up with like the wrong partner because everyone tastes (laughs) like pineapple now um or butterscotch or whatever um, or butter yeah whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah um no I, that's, a, that's an interesting point i didn't i never thought about that <laughs> i would yeah i'll have to have someone on to talk about yeah, it but if, I'm, if you know any evolutionary psychologist i don't but um <laughs> but yeah it would be an interesting question to pose to them i am going to um yeah have to give this to some of the people in my life and see see how it goes yeah I love that pop star. Okay, so glad we covered that. If you want more volume in your semen or your partner's semen and want to be a little healthier, check out uh, pop star and yeah. get yourself checked out by a urologist first to see if there's yes. underlying health causes because I imagine this is not a magic wand that's yes. going to fix your diabetes. Well, and there are also, I mean, we didn't even really get into this, but there are, there are mechanical or physical issues that can decrease volume, right? So like, yes. of course, if I'm going to, prescribe this to somebody well um or recommend this to like at least my patients um you know i've had the conversation about we've we've made sure that it's not related to a medication that they're on or there's not some other physical issue that's decreasing the volume of their semen yeah um yeah well yeah that that brings me to i guess one of my main questions which is like when i have a client coming into my office for a sex related concern um Mm -hmm. my first question to them depending on what it is is have you talked to have you seen a doctor yet uh Mm -hmm. for this and so often i will refer as a an immediate rule in or rule out to somebody like you or to a gynecologist to some other kind of specialist to see if there's anything going on physically because if there's something going on physically i can't we can address the impact of that, um, but I don't know what it is. So, um, right. what are you usually looking for in that case when someone comes in for what they would call broad, like sexual dysfunction? What are some of the main things that you're mm-hmm. usually seeing in your practice? Sure. So, um, I guess I should back up and explain um, kind of how my practice is structured. So, I, I did a fellowship in sexual medicine. Um, so, I actually see both men and women with sexual complaints um, and gender nonconforming, gender nonbinary people as well. Really, the workup is generally tailored towards the specific complaint. So most people are not coming in and saying, like, I have sexual dysfunction. They're coming in and saying, like, I have erectile dysfunction or I have low libido or maybe some symptoms of menopause or maybe some symptoms of low T. Um, and so depending on the on the the symptom or the complaint um that's how we kind of uh, uh create the the um diagnostic workup so in general um we you know if i see a man complaining about it, problems with his erections i talk to him i do a lot of education on the first visit about 
different factors that can affect erection. So um, I tell them, you know, that there are hormonal factors and that as men get older, our testosterone production decreases, but there are other hormones even beyond testosterone that can negatively affect erection. So we generally will do like a hormonal evaluation, which is just blood work essentially. Secondly, obviously the, the penis is a vascular organ. It needs to you know, you need to have normal blood flow to your penis to get erect and stay erect. And so we have a pretty sophisticated way of um, diagnosing a potential vascular issue. And it's by doing an ultrasound called a penile Doppler, where we essentially assess the hemodynamics of their erection. So we look at their blood flow. And I think one thing that people, and this, this includes, you know, clinicians don't understand is that, um, to have a normal erection, you have to have normal inflow of blood, and you also have to be able to trap the blood in your penis, right? That's a unique property to the penis during the erect state is that you get blood in and then it stays there. Most, you know, other organs and other, you know, like your finger, for instance, yeah, it flows you get in blood. and out. Exactly. It's a constant circulation, right? But in the erect state, that doesn't happen. And so men can have an inflow problem, which is called arterial insufficiency, or they can have a trapping problem, which is called venous leak. And those are managed very differently. And so, how does uh, that usually happen? Um, how does what happen? The, um, is those it a issues? genetic thing? Yeah. Is it a genetic thing? Is it age? Is it an injury, a nerve issue? All of the above. So okay. it can be um, from underlying cardiovascular disease, sometimes undiagnosed. So we see men, you know, in their early 40s who have never had a stroke, never had a heart attack. They don't even, you know, have, they're not on medications for blood pressure or cholesterol or anything like that, who uh, complain of erectile dysfunction. We do the Doppler, we find that they have diminished inflow um, and diagnose them with arterial insufficiency. Um, there's actually a lot of data that have come out in the last like 20 years that have shown that men who present with erectile dysfunction should probably be screened for other cardiovascular disease um, because that can often be the first sign of undiagnosed cardiovascular disease. And the reason is, is that the blood vessels that supply blood to the penis are tiny, um, even in comparison to the ones that, you know, uh, that uh, give blood to our heart or our brain. So you're much more likely to present with ED um, as an initial symptom of cardiovascular disease than you would be, say, a heart attack or a stroke. Um, so we often will refer, especially if patients have a family history or other, other risk factors for cardiovascular disease, we will typically refer them to their primary care physician or sometimes even like a cardiologist to just rule out other, other vascular issues that they may, may not know about. Um, and so I, I know you can't speak yeah. for all urologists. And do yeah. you think folks who haven't specialized in sexual medicine often skip some of those steps? I oh, guess yes. I've heard a lot of feedback of going into a general urologist yeah. without that training, and they're just like, here are some pills, Correct. as opposed to really yeah. finding the underlying causes. And it's so problematic, both for mm -hmm. maybe it's not really addressing what's going on sexually, but there could also be these really severe underlying health causes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things I, I mentioned that I do a lot of education on the first visit. And one of the first things I say to patients is that, you know, we approach sexual dysfunction in our office from a diagnostic perspective, which I think is unique. I think if you don't have that training, you can't do that. Um, and so very often urologists do just provide someone a prescription for an oral medication when it might not be appropriate, or they may be missing some other larger global health issue, right? Um, so part of that diagnostic approach is assessing all of those factors, hormonal, vascular, even psychogenic, right? Like I don't do, um, that's sort of your, your forte, right? But I talk to patients about that. I say, you know, there, uh, another factor that we need to consider is, um, is psychogenic. And I'm not, I, I'm, I will refer you to someone if I think that that is a, a large component to your, to your issue, or if we go through the physical workup and it's completely normal, then at least we know that that's what's left and we can help you find someone to address that. Um, I also try to normalize that for them because a lot of patients come here wanting it to be a physical issue. Um, so it has saying, a quicker fix. Yeah. Um, and oh, well, not always, but it feels like, oh, this is something tangible that I can exactly. do it's something concrete. about. Right. Yeah. It's concrete. Um, 
So a lot of what I try to tell them is that, you know, if you actually look at the data on erectile dysfunction, as one example, um, 85% of men with ED have some combination of a physical and a psychological issue, right? Um, so you're really talking about only 15% that are solely psychogenic. So what I tell them, and this doesn't matter what their age is, it could be their 25 or their 65, is that, you know, if you're a guy who enjoys sex and you want to have sex, and every time you try to have sex, you can't function, of course, that is going to create worry and anxiety. And you're going to carry that to each potential future encounter, right? And that's just yeah, going to make it worse. Exactly, right? So I'm, I, I, I tell them it's normal for you to have, uh, you know, some psychological component. That's not my strength. My strength is to rule out physical causes, but we're happy to send you to somebody to work on that if you need. So let's say it is uh, one of the physical causes that you said, like how, yeah, what are the, what are the next steps? What are some treatments for something like ED? Um, yeah, so it depends on what we find. So let's say there's a right. hormonal issue. We'll, we'll correct whatever problem there is. So if it's a low testosterone problem, we'll put them on a medication to, you know, um, stimulate their body to make more testosterone if they're a candidate for that. If not, then they can go on testosterone replacement therapy. If there's a vascular issue, there are medications that work on improving inflow of blood, right? So many people have heard of Viagra and Cialis, et cetera, those pills. They've been around for you know 20 years, more than 20 years. Um, but not everybody responds to that. So if you have you know more significant arterial insufficiency, you may not respond to those pills. So some people use injections um, where they administer a shot into the penis just prior to sex that maximally vasodilates those arteries and, and gets blood into the penis um, uh, more successfully than sometimes the pills can be. Um, yeah. If they're, if they have a more significant issue in terms of venous leak, unfortunately, there's not any medications that treat venous leak. So that's typically managed, historically has been managed with surgery. Um, and the surgery is, is uh, penile implant surgery. And the reason for that is that the venous leak exists because there is essentially scarring or some abnormality within the erection tissue itself that doesn't allow it to expand uniformly. And when you don't get uniform expansion, you don't get shutting off of the venous system. And so there's not a, a medication that fixes that scarring or that, that abnormality in the tissue itself. And so right. historically, those patients have undergone penile implant surgery. Now, there's newer um sort of regenerative therapies that are at this point investigational we do one of the uh two of the treatments here um which is low like intensity lasers and stuff what's well, low intensity shockwave therapy okay. and um injection of prp which is platelet-rich plasma um both of those treatments have been studied uh, more extensively in other fields of medicine whether that be dermatology or orthopedics um and have been shown to essentially um, help release of growth factors in the tissue that's being treated, which then recruits new blood flow to the area. Yeah. For any, like any other injury in the body. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So we, we offer those treatments here. They're safe. Um, the, they're not any, you know, and I'm totally transparent when we talk to patients about this, there are not any large clinical trials that have been done in this country that have shown that these treatments improve erectile dysfunction, but they're currently ongoing. And there are smaller studies that have shown improvement. Um, and there's a lot more data out of Europe that have shown improvement. So, um, you know, it, I always balance efficacy and safety when I'm talking to patients about treatment possibilities. And these treatments are very safe. Like if you look at the data, there's zero reported adverse effects, which is pretty remarkable. If you feel like your sex life has fallen into the same old dull routine, break those habits with a fun, sexy box from our sponsor, Like a Kitten. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Like a Kitten has your back when it comes to planning a perfect evening. They take out the guesswork by sending you a themed box with all your erotic essentials. So if planning is a way that you like to do some pre-sexy fun, then this is definitely... Definitely your pre 
foreplay fun time. Uh, this month, they're helping you choose your own adventure with their BYOB box, a.k.a. Build Your Own Box. You get to choose one item out of each of their six categories, toys, beauty products, lubes, cleansers, games, sexy accessories, and lingerie. Within each category, you have eight or more products you can choose from, so you can build an experience that's customized to your specific desires. For example, I chose a soothing high-on-love lavender honey bath oil, a gold handcuff bracelet, a blue silk teddy, really cute rose butt plug, uh, some liquid lube, uh, and lastly, a cute card deck uh, called A Year of Sex, so you can try new things with your partner. But these are just my choices, so you can build your own box today with Like a Kitten. And right now, they are offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash S-A-N-D-S or use code S&S to get 20% off those incredible boxes. Likeakitten.com slash S&S. The link is also in this episode's description. And if you are just wanting some amazing lube refills, remember to check out Uber Lube. Uber Lube is a luxurious, high-grade silicone lubricant made from clean, body-friendly ingredients. It's just silicone with a little vitamin E, and that vitamin E helps leave a velvety finish on your skin, and it actually moisturizes your skin too. Right now, they're offering listeners special 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. Uberlube is for everyone. Thousands of doctors recommend Uberlube as their go-to solution for patients experiencing dryness. Uberlube's simple ingredient list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to other lubricants. And remember, though, dryness does not have to mean that anything is wrong with you. You can be aroused and feeling desire, and sometimes your body needs a little extra help because it is not a machine. So if you are also a human being, invest in some lube. Uberlube offers long-lasting performance when you want it, then quickly dissipates with out leaving a sticky residue. It feels like a nice moisturizer when you're finished. I've got one in my purse, my shower, on my bedside table. I even use it sometimes just as a little moisturizer for my body and for my hair. Right now, they're offering listeners that 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code S&S at uberlube.com. Now, back to the episode. One of the other main things uh, or presenting issues that I refer folks to, to someone like you for is, quote unquote, low desire. Or some people call it low libido. Mm-hmm. What are some of the main physical causes that you see of that? Because I talk a lot about on the podcast about, you know, dispelling some of those myths on the emotional, relational, cultural expectations of mm-hmm. how much sex we should have. But like, what are some of the physical things in men and women that can cause libido lower than you want it to be? Sure. Hormones um, are a huge component of that. So we already talked about what happens to men, right? As they get older, their testosterone declines. That starts at about age 40. And, you know, if you look at the data, it's about a a 1% decrease on average per year of testosterone. Um, In women, um, the the, um, absence of hormones is a much more abrupt transition right so like men will see kind of like a steady decline but they're still making testosterone you know basically until they die um with women there's menopause and it's just sort of you know you can have perimenopause for a few years leading up to that but you just one day stop menstruating and um producing you know testosterone progesterone and estradiol um all of those are important for libido regulation um testosterone progesterone and estradiol in women. So um, a lot of patients that we see in that category, um, you know, post-menopause, simply offering them hormone replacement therapy will very often help improve their libido. Not always, but sometimes it does. Um, There are a younger cohort of female patients that we see that have low testosterone um, because of, uh, typically because of birth control use. Um, Long-term birth oral contraceptive. Exactly. Yeah. And that can have a host of other issues that come along with it, usually like problems with lubrication, pain with intercourse, but libido is a big one. Um, And so figuring that out, stopping their birth control, and sometimes even putting them on systemic testosterone will often um, improve their their drive. And then um, beyond hormones, um, you know, there are important neurotransmitters uh, that are involved in our 
reward pathways, and one of those is is libido, right? So um, dopamine and norepinephrine, we tend to think of as sort of excitatory um, neurotransmitters that are pro-sex or pro-libido. Um, and serotonin is the opposite of that. So it's considered an, an inhibitory um, neurotransmitter. And so there are medications that we use that actually affect the, the neural chemistry um, to favor the excitatory versus the inhibitory. And so as an example, like one medication that gets prescribed a lot that we see libido effects from are SSRIs, right? People have depression and anxiety, they get put on um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, and one very well-known, very well-studied side effect is low libido. And the reason for that is that those medications actually increase serotonin. We already mentioned that that's inhibitory. So that would, you know, not favor sex drive. And so sometimes we have to talk to patients about speaking to their prescribing doctors about switching medications, or sometimes we'll add another medication to try to offset the, the sexual side effects of their, of their SSRI. Um, using the knowledge of of the excitatory versus inhibitory to try to increase the excitatory neurotransmitters. Have you seen a medication that you think is most favorable for offsetting? I've usually heard Wellbutrin or... Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the problem is that um, just like there's no one SSRI that works for everyone. It's person um, to person. Yeah. Because our brains are, are dynamic, right? Like, and everybody's brain is different. And so... Um, it is a little bit of trial and error. Um, there are there is a there is an oral medication that was recently um, in the last like five years um, um, approved. Excuse me for um, women with a condition called hypoactive sexual desire disorder um, that is the most studied of all of the medicines that we use. Um, and I actually um, it's called flibanserin. I actually use it in women and off label even in men, um, and I've had pretty decent success. But before that, before that medicine was, you know, FDA approved, we did have to use a lot of medications like Wellbutrin, like Buspar, and some other dopamine agonist medications to try to have that effect without really any large trials and certainly without any FDA indication for the treatment of that. Yeah. And again, for, for listeners out there, if you're just tuning in for the first time, if you've listened before, I'm sure you've heard me say this a bunch, but there are so many complexities, obviously, that affect our desire and arousal patterns and libido, uh, which can all sometimes be separate things. Remember, arousal is just your body physically turning on, desire is wanting to have it. And so it's good to look at if there is anything physically going on, but usually it's a combination of all these yep. things, right? Like maybe there is a little less because you're taking some kind of serotonin medication and maybe you feel bad because you're not having as much sex as you think you're supposed to be having. And then you get in your head or, about or, that. And or then, maybe there's a global pandemic. Or maybe, exactly. <laughs> I, or maybe there's can, a global pandemic and I stress. I can't tell you how many, um, how many patients this past year have come in complaining specifically of libido issues. And <gasps> these more, are patients that more, I yeah. had seen, you know, for years who were stable. They were on a hormone prep, you know, um, program with me. Um, and we're suddenly coming in complaining of not wanting to have sex or not thinking about sex. And I, you know, we check their hormones just to make sure nothing has changed and they're still responding well to the treatment we have them on. And um, a lot of times I just talk to them, like, I, I, I tell them, you're one of many people that has been coming to see me with this same complaint. I said, it's yes. very hard for your brain to want to prioritize sex when you're worried about survival. Um, yeah, sir, just not dying, <laughs> number one. Number two, um, having to suddenly work from home, maybe it involves you homeschooling your children, you know, worrying about them if they're going back to school, you know, like there's so many things that are more important to your happiness and your survival besides sex at, in this moment. So like, it's not abnormal to, to, to not have the same drive you had in 2019. Um, so yeah. Yes. It's, it's thank you for really saying that. That is, I, the amount of clients I have to tell that to on a daily basis also, like, this is such an important PSA. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, it, the, the, what the world has, is going through. Um, and then, like, aside from, like, all the political stuff and, like, um, you know, the racial injustice, like, protests and stuff, there was just so much happening in such a um, finite amount of time, like, such a short period that it's, like, yeah, of course, you're going to like notice that you're 
fatigued more and that your libido is lower. Like that's just, you know, you're, if that's all that's happened, good, because a lot of people also had to then suffer with depression and anxiety beyond, you know, on top of that. So, um, yeah, I try to normalize it as much as possible that we're, we're all collectively going through this and, and dealing with it in a different, in different ways, but it's, it's not abnormal for you to have a low sex drive right now. Yes. Thank you for saying that is definitely rampant right now. Cause our, yeah, our nervous systems are overloaded, taking on so many things. And when you're in that survival mode, it's like too much cortisol, I guess, to mm-hmm. really be able to lean into all this other, all this other stuff. So yeah. I'm not that I'm glad you're seeing that too, but it's affirming to know, um, yeah. that everybody, a lot of people are experiencing this. Uh, for some, maybe it goes the opposite way. Maybe sex is their coping thing and they're feeling more into it. But I think, yeah, a lot of people are so much less. Um, I want to take kind of like a, I guess it's a hard left turn, uh, okay. just to make sure we can cover it. Um, blue balls. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about that. Is let's What is that? It. Is that a thing that exists? Like, let's, let's yes. myth bust so, here. It's funny that you asked about that because for whatever reason, I've contributed to like multiple articles on this very topic within the last like three or four months. Um, I think that's why I was like, we have to talk oh, about okay. this because I saw that <laughs> okay. it's being asked a lot. And I'm like, I have clients who talk about this and it more comes from, I guess they won't usually use the term blue balls in session in a, in a partner session, but they mm-hmm. might say something like, I physically can't handle it when my partner doesn't want to have sex or like the frustration feels so like I'm going to explode out of my body um, and it's painful. And so it's like, what, what is really happening here? Right. Right. The term blue balls really refers to something that's uh, called epididymal hypertension. So it's essentially like an increase in, um, in the, uh, it, it's a, it's uh, an increase in pressure that is exerted on the testicles. Um, when you are aroused, the testicles engorge with blood. The penis obviously engorges with blood if you're erect. Um, and then if there is not a release of that tension through ejaculation and orgasm, which normally would then return, you know, um, uh, allow the blood to kind of go back to the central circulation and everything kind of deflates, um, then you just get an sort of a persistent tension in that area. Um, and that's what's thought to, um, increase, uh, excuse me, that's what's thought to cause this blue ball sensation with, which most men will, will report as painful, right. Or uncomfortable, this sort of like uncomfortable pressure or ache in their balls really. Um, and then and can so, this happen? I imagine this can happen with vulvas and vaginas too, because there's mm-hmm. similar erectile tissue and engorged, and it's like absolutely, yeah. The, the, yeah the, so is it the same concept? Exactly, it is. It is the same concept. Um, there's another component to this that I, you know, is not well studied, but one of the things that I do or see a lot is um, that is related to sexual dysfunction is is um, problems of the the pelvic muscles and connective tissue, right? So like we have. Um, a pelvic floor in our body that basically acts to support not only our internal organs, but kind of stabilize the core and the pelvis, right? Um, And many people for lots of different reasons, whether it be you sit in a car because you have to drive to work all the time, or you're sitting at a desk all day, or you're an avid soul cycler, cyclist, or you lift really heavy at the gym, but there's a lot of people walking around with a lot of tension in their pelvis. And then you add on to that stressors that happen every day, global pandemic, things that cause more anxiety and stress, a lot of people hold that in their in their pelvic musculature. And so um, another component of I think the blue balls um, phenomenon is that when we get aroused, part of that experience as we approach orgasm is increase in muscle tension, right? And so if it's if you're fooling around or you're doing something sexual with your partner and you increase muscle tension, increase muscle tension, increase, and then you don't release that tension, then that those muscles being really tight can squeeze on nerves um, and make it uncomfortable. You can actually, it, it, it feels like a muscle ache in that area. Um, you so know I why this a, is probably popular right now? Did you watch Too Hot to Handle? I did not. I did not watch it, but I, I probably <laughs> should because I've heard a lot more. Yes. Well, there's one person in there who said he literally had to meet with like a me- like a medical team because his, as he called it, his blue balls were so bad. Um, oh, but it does sound like there was so much like tension that he literally got like 
I don't know, something happened in there and they had to like do something, do something oh, about wow. it. Because this guy now just I, couldn't. Now I want to watch it. it. Yeah, um, so I, I honestly, that's probably why you're hearing maybe more people talk about it. But like, maybe. I, yeah. so I wonder how do we like acknowledge that, yes, there can be a physical tension or a pain, and maybe that's indicative of something more serious going on in your pelvic floor while also not being like, well, then your partner has to do something about it. Like right. you can so, release I mean, it, right? Yeah. So like the, um, the articles that I mentioned that I've contributed to, um, I think at least one of them asked about, well, like, well, so should you just like, should a partner feel then obligated to like get their partner off so that they, this pain goes away. Well, and it's, the, hard, the truth it's is, hard not to feel obligated, I think, or, sure. ha or have your partner guilt you because you're like, if you care about someone, you don't want them to be in pain. But let's yeah. say you're not in the mood for any kind of sexual touch, but your partner's yeah. in pain. And then you push yourself to do it. And then you feel resentful. Like it's, I right. don't know, it's a whole bunch well, of stuff. Here's the thing there. though, is that, that ejaculation doesn't always solve the issue. Because again, of this pelvic floor problem, right? So if, if there's a component of, of this muscle tension, yes, you get some release of that tension, but um, it doesn't always release to a fully kind of relaxed state. And so again, because of extenuating circumstances, many people hold a lot of tension in their area. And some people, you know, I see people who don't necessarily come to complain, uh, come to me complaining about blue balls, but they comp complain that it hurts when they ejaculate. And so some people with blue balls, it actually can increase the pain because that contraction that happens with ejaculation kind of puts you over the edge, like in terms of, of muscle tension. And so it can actually sometimes make it worse. So that's when you would refer to like a pelvic floor therapist? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of patients that we see with, with painful ejaculation, um, one of the first things I do is refer them to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Okay. Is there anything that someone can do for them for themselves? Like, let's say they have this tension, I guess they could try masturbating, self-pleasuring if it doesn't release, you know, maybe go yeah, to the doctor, think, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would be one, that's one strategy. There's also a lot like a subset, and I don't know if you've talked about this on your podcast, but there's a lot of like, especially younger guys into edging. Mm -hmm. um, and that is like, the worst thing you can do like edging basically oh, for, for this you mean or just for in this general? problem yeah yeah yeah. oh so, good because no, i was like oh my gosh i love that please don't tell me we can't yeah. do that anymore <laughs> no 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 so no edging edging creates right you're basically taking yourself to the point of like maximum tension and then right. not, not following through so like right. there's a lot of people that edge that create pelvic floor muscle dysfunction um oh. and then they come to me with now when they do come it hurts and i'm like okay well you've just spent the last six months creating all this tension in your pelvis Whoa. and not allowing it to release. Oh, no, because edging is like so delicious. <laughs> yes. It, so you just have to be careful. So, um, you know, there are, um, there are resources that you can look up for like pelvic floor relaxation techniques. A lot of times, you know, the pelvic floor physical therapist will do their evaluation and there's, there, there's some, um, manual, you know, things that they need to do by like physically releasing the tension in the muscles, sort of like the, you know, if, if you, what would happen if you got a massage for another yeah. part of your body that was tight. But a lot of it is education, muscle awareness that they teach patients, breathing exercises, mindfulness. I mean, all of those things can really help alleviate the problem. So um, I, I guess if you don't feel comfortable seeing a doctor about this who could then refer you or you don't feel comfortable, you know, self-referring to a pelvic floor physical therapist, you could probably Google pelvic floor relaxation exercises. And the relaxation is the key component here. Um, and see if, you know, try that kind of stuff and see if it helps. Um, what you don't want to do and what a lot of people mistakenly do, because they think pelvic floor means Kegel exercises, is they do Kegel exercises and actually, again, that creates more tension. Correct. Yeah. So it can actually make the problem worse. So, um, yeah. Have um, you seen but, this edging struggle for people with vulvas and vaginas too, or is it mostly penis havers? I haven't heard a lot of people with vulvas and vaginas talk to me about edging. I'm sure it happens, but it's usually, um, people with penises that are the ones that are telling me that this is a practice that they do regularly. Um, but, but again, our anatomy's are not that different. They look different, but they act functionally are not that different. Um, and so, yes, if, if a, if a person with a clitoris 
tells me that they have pain when they have their clitoral orgasm, then one of the first things I'm going to do is send them to a public for physical therapist. Definitely. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Last question before we wrap up related to this, I've had Mm -hmm. more people um, reach out to me lately about what they call post orgasm illness. I don't know if this relates to the tension you're talking about, but there's like a, a lack of research about it. And what it's described to me as is like, like flu-like symptoms after mm-hmm. orgasm. Um, yeah. Is that a thing? Like, what is that? It's not well understood, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the, uh, we just got like, um, I belong to this society called the Sexual Medicine Society of North America, SMSNA. Um, and we just got, I'm just looking at Sounds kinkier than it is. SMS. Oh, it's so boring. No, it's just a bunch of nerd. It's just a bunch of like doctor nerds, um, and other clinicians talking about sex. It's actually very fun, but, but it's a little sex nerdy. Um, but yeah, we, we, um, got a, there's like a thread where people can ask questions like a forum. Um, and we just got a, like a, a ding on this, I think like a couple of weeks ago and people just literally try anything. People have tried like Sudafed or Dramamine, Wellbutrin, like literally no one really knows how to manage it. It's not well studied at all. So there's a few medications that can be tried. I wonder why things with penises are usually well studied. Why why isn't anyone studying this? That's a good question. It's very uncommon. It's very, very uncommon. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in, in the sexual health space, both in terms of uh, studying like orgasm is not a well-studied physical issue. Like it, from a physical standpoint, it's not well-studied. So there are people who have like anorgasmia, right? Um, and meaning for listeners, that's like trouble oh, sorry, having yeah. or trouble having orgasm right. or not orgasm, at all. Right. And there are people that have acquired, right. They had the period in their life where they were able to have orgasms and suddenly they're not. Um, and so we have to investigate why those, why they may have those issues, but there's people who have primary anorgasmia, which is essentially they have never had an orgasm. They've had multiple partners. They've tried masturbation. A lot of these patients, they're not on medication. Yeah, exactly. And they've, they've already seen a sex therapist, like they're doing all the work, right. And they just can't do it. And that, that patient is incredibly difficult to treat because there are no studies looking at medications that we can use. So everything we do is sort of based in uh, on smaller studies or anecdotal experience through like forums where, where, where like, you know, the thought leaders in these fields are saying, well, I tried this in this patient and it worked. Um, and so it's a lot of trial and error. Um, and I tell patients that at the beginning, I'm like, this is not, there's not a textbook answer for your problem. So if you're willing to go on this journey with me, I'm not going to recommend anything that's d- dangerous or risky. Um, but we might be trying a lot of different things. So, yeah. and most, most people, who are anorgasmic are so motivated that they're like, I'm in, like, I'll try whatever, I'll try whatever you recommend. So, but like orgasms, not well studied, post-orgasmic illness syndrome, not well studied, persistent genital arousal disorder is not well studied. And then all of the things that are well studied, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation in non-heterosexual people is not well studied. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think with people like myself who identify as gay and, and, and having the, the, the change in urology kind of shift to not being sort of like, just like old white guys, um, but now is more inclusive and there's a lot more women and there's a lot more queer people and there's a lot more people of color kind of coming into the field. There's been, uh, and, and when those people sort of funnel their way into the sexual health space, there's been a lot more diversity. And I've seen this even in the, 10 years that I've been going to these meetings where there's now, you know, whole um, sessions on queer sex, you know what I mean? There, it, which did not exist five years ago, you know, where they have a whole, a panel talking only about LGBTQ plus topics, um, which is fantastic. So like the work, there's a lot of work to be done. I think we're moving in the right direction, but you know, it's, it's hard to conduct trials and get funding for things when you're talking about sex. That's the reality. 
Well, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you do. And you're such a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to you for, there's so many other things to cover. I know, it went by quickly. I, yeah, I know we have to wrap up. Um, how can folks um, hire you, watch your TikToks, <laughs> get in touch? Um, yeah, for everyone listening, you know, good good to rule it in or rule it out. You know, if you can afford yeah. it or whatever, get insurance to cover it as best as possible, even though a lot of insurance doesn't care about sexual health. Get to yeah. a, a urologist like Dr. Gonzalez if, if you're a questioning things and to see if there's anything physically going on. This episode is sponsored in part by Everlywell. Everlywell offers affordable at-home lab tests that give you trusted physician-reviewed results. Choose from tests including food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, thyroid, STI, and so much more. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash S&S. So I think you probably know that my beliefs as part of being a slut and a scholar is being informed about my sexual health and wellness. For me, that means knowing my STI status so that I can take care of myself, make informed decisions, and communicate clearly my safer sex practices with partners. The STI test by Everly Well discreetly allows you to test for seven types of STIs, all from the privacy of your own home. Whether you don't want to go to the doctor, don't have one, have accessibility needs, you can do that at-home test with Everly Well. Here's how it works. Everly Well ships your test straight to your door with everything needed for a simple sample collection. Then they then you return the test to the CLIA certified lab with a prepaid shipping label. Then your physician-reviewed results and insights are sent to your device in just days. Okay, so for me, I got the box. First, I logged in online. I had to answer 10 short questions about myself. Uh, then the screen gave me directions on how to do the test. Uh, they even have easy-to-watch videos to show you how to prick your finger and do a swab. I just sent mine in yesterday, and I am awaiting my results. But remember, I'm not your doctor and not a replacement for your doctor or your therapy, so make sure you consult with a doctor if you need to to figure out if this is right for you. And for listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash S&S. That's E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L, everlywell.com slash S-A-N-D-S for 20% off your at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash S&S. How can folks get in touch? So um, what I will say is we take most commercial PPO insurances, which is been very helpful for our patients. Um, we're based in Los Angeles. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Joshua Gonzalez MD. Um, I post a lot of like fun, but also educational content on different um, sexual health topics. Um, our office, you can call 323-607-2895. Um, we offer obviously in-person consultations, but we do have a lot of patients that are out of town. Um, who we are able to offer virtual consultations as well. Um, some of the stuff that we mentioned, you know, has to be done in person ultimately, but I'm, we can do initial consultations that way. Um, and then, you know, checking out my website, joshuagonzalezmd.com. Um, also a ton of, of helpful information in the media section. Um, and you can keep up on any articles I've contributed to or any podcasts I've been on um, to learn more. And then um, definitely check out um, the new supplement we talked about. It's popstarlabs.com. If you want your loads to be bigger and tastier, um, it's the way to go. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars for who knows how long because Instagram uh, on Twitter at oh, Sluts Scholars. Instagram. I know. And them and, their, them and their censorship. <laughs> I know. You know, I've just, I think I've been, um, what is it called? Where oh, like no one TikTok, can find you. Yeah. TikTok's yeah. even worse, by the way. It's, it's really So just bad. listen but, wherever you get your podcast. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Talk to you all next week. <laughs>